I'll have to leave that gospel reading to another time to address because my preaching text this morning is 1 Corinthians. I'm going to look at that passage that was first read from chapter 10 of of Corinthians. And my topic this morning is to address a, a universal experience, and that is temptation. And I want to tell you up front what my main point is and put a slide on the screen behind me, and it is this. Temptation is a tool. Temptation is a tool for discipleship. And you can just leave that up there, and hopefully that will make sure if I put you to sleep or you don't hear anything else, you take that home. Temptation is a tool that the Lord uses for discipleship. I want to ask you this question. Is temptation a good thing or a bad thing? Is temptation a good thing or a bad thing? Have you thought about that? How would you categorize it? If I had to guess, like me, you would think, well, when I withstand the temptation, it's a good thing. But if I fall, then it's a bad thing. But in either case, something can be learned and we can grow as disciples. We can grow in maturity. But we have to think a little bit about what temptation is. And I found, a, I found myself laughing in the bathroom yesterday as I looked down into the drawer and I saw the deodorant I've been using for at least a year. I realized that the scent has a title. It's called Dark Temptation. <laughs> and I thought, what does this mean that the priest at church is wearing Dark Temptation as a deodorant? And like you, though, I didn't buy it for the title or the advertising or marketing. I went down the aisle and went, mm, oh, that one's good. Okay, I'm buying this one. That's how I picked it. But it got me thinking about marketing and our society and what we think about temptation. I, the only reason you can have a title like that for a product you're selling is if you see temptation as something frivolous or fun or playful or even something that is flirtatious or desirable or teasing. And that's how our society looks at it. However, on the other hand, sometimes our society might define temptation as being lured to do something that is bad for you or something that is seen as taboo. But if you look at the original temptation, the first time it occurs in the history of humanity, from which I got that picture, I just pulled it off the internet, but the, the story of Eve and Adam being tempted with the fruit, which technically, by the way, is not an apple. That's, we're reading in between the texts there. It doesn't say what kind of fruit it is. But it does say this in Genesis 3.6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also able to make one wise, she took it and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. So she looked and said, this is a good thing. This is good fruit. If I eat it, it's good food and it will help me. Of course, there was a lot more to it. If she had realized what it meant, she would have seen it not in the same light. But temptation is about a desire for good. And I want to say this as a definition. Temptation is a, an enticement to a shortcut to satisfaction. Temptation is about a shortcut to satisfaction. Every person wants every desire satisfied forever. I think about Jesus coming to the woman at the well. Again, that story just keeps coming to me in this season as, I'm, as I've been reading through God's word. And he says, if you knew who it was that asked you for water, you would ask him and he would give you living water and you would thirst no more. And then she says, sir, give me this water so I won't thirst again, right? Satisfy my thirst so I won't thirst anymore. I have a desire and if you can perfectly fulfill it, then please do so. And she asks for him to provide. What we have to learn in this life, 
what we absolutely have to learn is that only God can perfectly satisfy our desires. Everything else is a shortcut. Every temptation is about some desire we have for God being pulled off on a rabbit trail. Here's a shortcut. This will satisfy you. But it doesn't. And we have to learn it can't because only God can satisfy our desires. Now, temptation can serve as a tool to help us see that God will satisfy. That God will provide and then he will satisfy us. Jesus was tempted, as you know. He was sent by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. And he, for 40 days, didn't eat or drink. And he was hungry. Again, hunger is a desire. He had a desire. He had a need. And the enemy came and said, if you're the son of God, say to this stone, become bread. In other words, satisfy your need with a shortcut. And Jesus perfectly answered and said, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He recognized that his satisfaction was in the Father, in the Father's word, and that even if he had the best loaf of bread that you could ever possibly have, it would still not satisfy him. And he said that when he fed the 5,000. You came to seek me because you ate and had your fill, but you're hungry again, right? You're, You're not fully satisfied unless you're satisfied in the Lord. The spiritually dead person, the spiritually dead person is still thinking bread alone can satisfy The spiritually dead person, as we saw last week, has as his or her God, their belly. Their God is their belly. Their desires are what they worship. It's a form of idolatry, but they are never satisfied ever. Now we're in a series called Coming Alive, and we're looking at that idea in this season of Lent. And the person who comes alive in Christ recognizes, I've been chasing something that can't satisfy me. It's when that moment happens that we start to look elsewhere and we go, God, Could you satisfy me? What would it look like for you to satisfy me? These shortcuts I've taken all of my life have betrayed me, every single one of them. It promised up here, and then it delivered way down here. And I went away, not only still hungry or thirsty or whatever, but now with guilt and shame because I took a shortcut. I've been betrayed by the shortcut. And what Jesus said is, come to me. And he invites us into a school of discipleship. Come and walk with me, and I will show you how to be satisfied in the Lord. And it's at that point that temptation now becomes a tool. It becomes useful. The passage that we read from the epistle, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, is, in my opinion, it has the best verse in the Bible on temptation, on what to do with temptation, how it works, and what God does for us in there. And the context of 1 Corinthians 10 is the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. They were a difficult church to pastor. They had professed faith in Christ. They had been baptized. They had regular communion. They took from the body and blood of Christ every week, and yet they had not put to death any of the old things. They were caught up in all sorts of sexual sin and drunkenness and all these different problems, suing one another in court, all these things. And Paul comes to them, and he's he's basically in this passage saying, you're abusing the grace of God. I call it being a grace junkie. You are just sinning, and then when you get caught or when you feel bad, you repent and ask for forgiveness, but you have no intention of changing. And then he says, consider the ancient Israelites, consider Israel. These things were written down as an example for us. And he gives several examples in here of things that the Israelites did that displeased God. And he makes a parallel between those of us who are in Christ and those who were in the covenant community back then. 
He says, you've been baptized in Christ. They were baptized as well in the Red Sea as Moses brought them through. They were baptized in the cloud, the pillar of cloud that the father used to lead them through the wilderness. They were baptized and they had, they, like us, we take the body and blood of Christ, spiritual food and drink. They had spiritual food and drink. They had manna that came from heaven. They drank the water that came from the rock. And that rock, he says, was Christ. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was present there in the wilderness, providing for them, and they grumbled, and they went the other way, and they continued to try to be satisfied with the shortcuts. Let's go back to Egypt, because back there we had other things that were easy. Let's go back there. Then we'll be satisfied. Of course, we know they wouldn't be. And if they thought about it, they wouldn't be either. And God was saying, I want to satisfy you with something even better. The Corinthians were doing the exact same thing as these Israelites were. Now, here's how grace actually works. This is how it works. We've got Jesus who was tempted and perfectly withstood the temptations. Therefore, providing for us a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb, one who then could pay for our sins because he was without sin. And so now we are forgiven. We have a God who has been through temptation and understands it, and he can help us when we are tempted. And when we fall, which happens to every one of us, we can crawl back on our knees and go, God, forgive me. And he says, I forgive you. So that's how grace works for us. And then we're motivated to try again. If that wasn't there, we would just fall into despair. So you'd either be grace junkie and just do what you want and then go, forgive me and not really repent. Or you'd think God is holy. And look at these examples. God was not pleased with his people back then. And he brought judgment on them. Despair. But the cross means I can go and say, God, help me. Have mercy on me. I've fallen. And he delights to do that. And then we come to the verse that's my favorite in this section. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, I've memorized it a half a dozen times, and I have it all messed up in my head because I memorized it in the NIV, and then I've been reading the ESV for so long, it comes out wrong. But no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can escape, so that you can stand in the temptation. Forgive the bad paraphrase. It's because I'm confused on my translations. However, those are the important parts. First of all, temptation is common to everyone. It is a part of life. It was a part of Jesus's life. It is not sin. Temptation is not a sin, but it is an enticement to a shortcut. And it is common to everyone. And so, so don't think you're being tempted beyond what people have ever experienced when you're tempted. It's common. It's a normal thing. And God being faithful, he won't let you experience a temptation that is beyond your abilities. Now, what's hard about that, that part is that means if I look back on the times when I was tempted and I caved into the temptation and sinned and fell, I actually had at my disposal the ability not to do that. But I chose the wrong thing. But then he says, he will provide a way out. That's part of God's grace for us. He will provide an escape for you. So when you find yourself being tempted, you need to train yourself to look for the escape. God, how do I get out of this situation? What's the escape? What does it look like? And it'll be unique to each instance. So I was just thinking of, you know, desires, understanding what is it I actually want? This is a shortcut, right? If it's temptation, it's a shortcut to satisfaction, but it only can be satisfied in God. So what is the desire I have? And how is the shortcut promising something other than God? So I just, I just picked four, and there's so many topics we could look at, I can't possibly exhaust them here. But I thought, 
What about gluttony or overeating? Why would I eat more than I need? It goes way past hunger. Well, I'm looking for comfort, right? It's comfort food. And I, my desire is to be comforted. And food can't comfort me, not perfectly, not in a way that will sustain. So I'm looking for comfort. God, how could you comfort me? What's the escape here? How do I turn to you for the comfort I need? And why, do, why am I uncomfortable or lust? What am I looking for? I'm longing for beauty. I'm longing for an escape or rest. I'm longing for love. God, you are beautiful. I'm supposed to rest in you. I'm supposed to pursue you as the one who loves me and I can love in return. So that's the desire I have. Why am I looking at the shortcut? God, what does it look like to get out of this shortcut and take the, the long path, the correct path? Or revenge. Somebody's hurt me and I find myself manipulating to get them back. What am I trying to do? Well, I'm pursuing justice. I want justice. I want things made right. Problem is, I'm not a just judge. And God says, vengeance is mine. And so I need to go, God, I have to trust you that you're going to make this situation right. It's not mine to go and get revenge. <clears throat> what does it look like to escape from that temptation so I don't go and be the one who gets vengeance? Or gossip. Why would I want to say something bad about somebody else? My desire actually is to feel important. Or my desire is to have my self-esteem built up. And I feel weak. I feel unworthy. So if I can bring everybody else down around me, then I don't feel so bad. So what I'm really looking for is worth and self-esteem. God, you provide that. You say that I'm loved. You say that I'm valuable. You're the one who determines my worth by what you are willing to pay for me. Help me find the escape, Lord, and come to you to have that desire satisfied instead of take the shortcut, which never delivers. So here's what I want you to do with this passage. One, I want you to see temptation as a tool, neither good nor bad, but a useful tool for those who are Christ's. He will use it to help you grow in maturity. See it as that, as a tool. Second, I want you to learn verse 13 in whatever translation you want. I can't tell you to learn ESV because I haven't, but learn that verse, get the core components of it, paraphrase it if you have to, but understand the content of that because I promise you before this day is out, you will experience temptation. You might be experiencing it right now. I don't know. But before this day is out, you will have temptation. Understand that verse. It will help you so that you can then start looking for the escape. And then the third thing is take the escape. Pretty, pretty good application, huh? Take the escape when it's presented. When you see it, take the escape. Choose that. Beg God to help you with it. Beg him to give you the, the strength which he promises to do so that you can take the escape so that your delight can be in him. And let's see it as a tool for growth. We will grow in our faith, in our walk, in our maturity through temptation when it comes. See it as a tool, learn the verse, and then take the escape. And may God be glorified in that. Would you please pray with me? Father, we hold up to you now our desires. The desires that you've given us that sometimes go off the rails. Father, help us to understand the process. Father, for those who have never trusted you, I pray that you would show them that they cannot be satisfied in anything but you. Father, forgive us when we have tried to do so, be satisfied in the wrong things. Lord, I pray for a sense of victory for each person in here. When that next temptation comes, will you help us take the escape? Lord, we want to glorify you and we want to be satisfied in you. 
Thank you for being the bread of life with living water. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.